And once again, you're listening to Arts on Fire here on WRFA. Jason Sample in the studio with you, and we have a special guest joining us via telephone. We have none other than Paula Poundstone on the phone. She's going to give us some details about her upcoming appearance here in Jamestown at the Reginald A. Center for the Arts when she appears on Saturday, October 19th. With that being said, Paula, thank you so much for taking time out and talking with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to have you here and talk with you and uh, get a little bit of uh, more information and an idea of what to expect when you come to uh, Jamestown later on this month. But maybe a good place to start out with is just how is 2019 going for you this year? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on, on, honestly, on almost every uh, personal level, it's, it's good enough. But, uh, of course, I, like everyone else, I'm obsessed with the, the news. I'm 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 hoping to gather enough people for a class action suit against Trump for causing me digestive disorder. <laughs> You're not alone, that's for sure. That seems to be an ongoing uh, topic here at the radio station and around the community and around the country as well. Is uh... yeah, my guess is that he has a, uh, an investment of some sort in uh, digestive problem medicine. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past be an upside him. to him for doing this. Well, well, obviously, if nothing else, as a comedian, it does give you something to talk about, perhaps, when when you go on the stage. I, I, I mean, I talk about it a little bit here and there, and then I sort of don't. Uh, I, I mean, I do some, <laughs> um, but uh, I do some only because you know my act is largely autobiographical. So I, you know, when uh, when I first started out, I. I talked about busing tables and taking public transportation, and then, you know, years later, I got some cats. Talked a lot about cats. I mean, I talked about other things, too, but that was for years. And then, you know, and I had kids. I talked a lot about raising kids in a house full of animals, and now my kids are young adults. And, uh, you know, by the way, that's a horrible phase, too. And, uh, you know, but I'm, but I, you can't help thinking about what's, you know, going on in in uh, this extraordinary, extraordinary time, uh, and so I, I I talk about it not as an expert, not as a political analyst, but as a as a person, just as a voter, as a voter, just baffled by the, you know, by the, um, just how far it know, seems to have gone. Yeah. Of, of greed and power lust does. We've read about it before. I never quite saw it before me like this. No, it is uh, strange times to be sure, and and you stay on top of uh, a lot of what's happening both uh, across the country as well as around the world. Uh, it, obviously, you do because when we listen to you on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, you seem to be uh, well aware of a lot of things that are happening. Does that require a lot of work on your end, or are you just naturally in tune with with the news and information that seems to come up on on that program on a regular basis? I, you know, I try to stay informed. I'm not exactly sure why. I think it's because I think it makes me, a, you know, a better citizen. Um, uh, you know, it helps voting. But um, I'm not even positive that that's true. <laughs> but, but I, by the way, I'll wait, wait, don't tell me. I, I think I hold the record for losses. So, the, you know, the others are beating me to the punch every time. They, um, they, you know, there may be some cheating on the show. I, I've always thought that there's doping. But I can't prove that. <laughs> and you still uh, come back anyways, right? I come back anyways. I, yeah, I, you know, uh, uh, at some point I may join in the doping. I don't know. 
<laughs> Again, it's we're... a really fun show to do. I'm very, very lucky to to, to have been included. I I I think they they've been on there for like 21 years now, maybe, and uh, I've been with them then for like 18, uh, which is sort of inconceivable. But there it is. Yeah. How did you first get involved with that program, and did you think you would develop a strong relationship that's gone on this long? No, certainly I didn't. I, you know, in the most boring of ways, though, you know, they called me up and asked me. And, you know, 18 years ago, I'd never heard of that show. And uh, I'm sure they hate it when I say that, but it's true. And uh, so they sent me an audio cassette tape that shows you how long ago it was, which I put on the island in the center of my kitchen, which, by the way, when I bought that house, um, and I had this island in the kitchen. I said to the real estate agent when I looked at it, I said, is there any way I can get rid of that thing in the middle of the kitchen? So she said, oh, no, that's your island. You're going to love your island. And she's right. We vacation on that island year after year. <laughs> um, the, uh, the island was, as I suspected, just a place where junk piled up. And uh, so that cassette tape of <laughs> Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me was, was on the island. And uh, a, a, a nanny that I had at one point saw it laying there, and he saw the labeling on it. It was like, oh, my gosh, I love that show. You have to do that show. So uh, that's why I did it. You owe it all to your nanny. I do, my nanny slash manager, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I did it, and it was it was very fun. It was different then in that we were in the we weren't all in the same room together back then. We were in booths nearest wherever we lived. No one traveled to do the show. Um, you know, Peter was in Chicago, Carl was in D.C., Adam was in New York, I was in L.A., um, and we were, and we were connected via wire, and there was no audience in front of us. Now, after uh, I don't know, probably within a year. Uh, or less of uh, they must have already been looking for some sort of um, you know change of dynamic because uh, they uh, found um, a auditorium in the basement of a bank in downtown Chicago and we now usually do the show there they travel about once a month um, but usually we do the show there and we are uh, I don't know there's a few hundred people in front of us. Maybe maybe five hundred, maybe less, and um, it's great. Uh, it's great to all be together, and it's it's certainly a, a lot more fun having an audience. Speaking of audiences, you're. I think you just started out a uh, a leg of a uh, an extended tour. I was looking at your website, and it appears you're going to be traveling around the country doing a show after show all the way up through uh, June of 2020. Um, and and I'm That's not. It's always it's always like that. It's always like so. Every, I, I go out two or three nights a week, um, and uh, and it's kind of it's kind of unending. I'll have a little bit of time off around the holiday, and I take a week off um, in the summer to go to the island, and uh, and other than that, it's pretty much what I do. Every now and then, there's another like date that happens to be unbooked for whatever reason, but for the most part, that's how it goes. Um, it's a you know it's a job in that way like anybody else's job, uh, and uh, it's just a really really fun job. So so a lot of comedians when they go out on tour they don't have the same audience night after night so they can get away with doing the same 
set, comedy set, the same material night after night. But from what I understand, you rarely, if ever, do the same comedy set twice or try to replicate it. You know, when you think of George Carlin, a lot of what he did on The Tonight Show was also what he did uh, the next night on another uh, late night TV show or or what he did uh, that night when he was uh, playing in New York City. But from what I've read and, and from what I've seen, you keep it very fresh and you try to mix it up almost on a nightly basis. Is is that easy to pull yeah, off or does that require that. a lot of work? Or has it always been that way? Uh, it's uh, You know, I, I when I started out as an open micer, I tried desperately um, to do uh, the premise of open mics being that anybody who wanted to could go up for five minutes. And so, you know, I'd write my five minutes and I would try desperately to stick to that five minutes because it was, it was important because uh, if you went over the five minutes, everybody got mad at you. And um, I just found I, I, cu- I would get so nervous that I would either forget entirely what I planned on saying, and, you know, hence the five minutes went up in smoke, um, or I would just, you know, I'd be on my way to the stage, and I would see something that distracted me, and I would talk about it. And, well, the next thing you know, now where am I in the five minutes? And, and at that point, I, I felt like it was this, you know, terrible... Uh, liability that I did that, you know, that it was a, a bad thing. And, and uh, I don't know on what day I figured out that it was really the fun part. It was really where the heart and soul of my show lived. Uh, I mean, I have 41 years of material somewhere in my head. <laughs> um, but this was, uh, uh, you know, and, and I do that material frequently. Um, I just don't have a particular, uh, I, I don't know which part of it, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to choose. What sort of drives my act is uh, uh, talking to the audience. It's my favorite part of the night. I do the time-honored way from what do you do for a living. And in this way, little uh, biographies of audience members emerge, and I use that from which to set my sails. So, uh, I don't know if if. if Somebody will tell me something that reminds me of a piece of material as that I have. Sure, I'll reach into the recesses of my brain and tell that story. Um, but more often than not, it's something something comes up that is unique just to that night. Nothing that I'm going to repeat again, just a part of it. Very much like any conversation you have ever in your entire life, right? People say, hi, how are you? And you might tell them something that, you know, you told somebody else a few minutes ago. Yeah, you know, you might talk about current events for a few minutes. Um, you know, you, you you know, you might see a bird do something weird while you're on the street and comment on it. Uh, you know, and then so it's a conversation. No uh, set uh, agenda or outline then, uh, and obviously from the way you interact with the audience, that might not be too helpful to come out there and say, okay, I'm going to go over this joke and then this joke and then talk about this next because you really do deviate a lot. It seems like uh, from yeah, from any I'd idea. Like to, you know, I I like to just see where things go i mean that's the fun part you know that's you know the fun part is figuring it out uh the, the fun part like sometimes people think that um i've studied up on the area that i've gone to ahead of time which is such a laughable idea to me um i i would i would never do that it, it, it would just plain take too much energy um but and then i would have to remember stuff which is not my forte um but you know i go i talk to the audience I ask the audience, hey, what's the main industry here, or where do you work, or whatever. And, uh, you know, within a few minutes, uh, I wouldn't call myself an expert on the area, but I certainly have the flavor of what the room thinks about it anyways. 
pay attention and uh, go from there. So, so yeah. speaking of our area, Jamestown's the birthplace of Lucille Ball. I'm sure you knew I that. I know that. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've done a Lucy Festival a, a couple times. That's right. And, and, and had such a great time. It, it's now the home of the National Comedy Center, and I'm not sure if you've been in town since it opened up about a year ago. No, I haven't, but I've, I've done some interviews for it and stuff, and, uh, and I'm really, I, I hope I get the chance to go see it, if not this trip, then another, um, because I think that's so cool. And I've read really great things about it. Um, apparently it's doing very well in terms of uh, uh, reviews. Yes, yes, it's getting, it's got a, a great archive, a lot of material uh, left. It's, you know, it's not just a showcase of funny people. It actually offers a historical account and record of the art of comedy in America. How important is that to have a place like that, whether it be in Jamestown or, you know, Los Angeles or New York City, but, but to have a place where people can go and study the craft of comedy and not just go to, like, a Hall of Fame of who's who of comedians? Oh, I think it's a great idea. I, I, uh, I think it's a wonderful idea. Um, uh, you know, it's such a, um, it's like a time capsule, too. I mean, you, 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 you can understand history a lot of times through what comics were, were saying about what was going on um, in a way that, um, you know, that, that history books might not even include. Um, and it, it, it just tells you a lot about who we were at different times and, and, uh, and where we were going. So, so are there any comedians who've had the biggest influence on, on you and your career, or even comedians today that you look at and say, wow, I, I, I love and enjoy seeing them perform, and also I would love to, to work alongside them at one point? I see almost nobody, um, because I, I don't work with other acts. Um, I very rarely see uh, other comics there. You know, when you're coming up, when you're, when you're learning to do this job, um, me and my brethren refer to it as sort of a graduating class. You know, we there's a group of people that were you were open micers with, or that you were traveling the country doing um, nightclubs among, um, and uh, so there are a lot of those guys that I you know still love uh, Kevin Nealon and Dana Carvey and and uh, Larry Miller. Um, uh, there's lots of guys from back then that are just you know, absolutely brilliant. In terms of people that made me want to be a comic, um, well, I when I was a kid, uh, there was a great show, Laughing, and um, I talk about a time capsule, by the way. Uh, if there's any one show we put in a time capsule, you know, for the aliens to find, it should be Laughing. Um, and uh, Lily Tomlin was the breakout star of that show. And so, I, man, I wanted to be Lily Tomlin when I was a kid. I missed by a country mile, um, but, uh, but I sure had good taste. Um, and also Richard Pryor. Uh, you know, his first stand-up movie is one of the most brilliant things you'll ever see. Uh, he was just, it, it was just amazing. Um, and uh, had, you know, just, I don't know. It, 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 he could do a deer drinking water, uh, and, and it was and it was a very believable deer drinking water. He he, he had a knack, that's for sure. So, so let's talk about Richard Pryor and his style of comedy. There seems to be a lot of pressure on comedians today to be funny, but to do so and not be offensive. 
Uh, where do you stand on the issue of being <laughs> being sensitive and aware of your audience? And maybe even the general public, oftentimes you find out you're offending somebody who wasn't even in the audience or wasn't even interested in your act anyway, but sure enough, they've been offended. Well, what are your thoughts about you know the, the state of comedy today and, and, the, and the emphasis of trying to be uh, aware and, and conscientious enough not to be too offensive toward other people? I think as a country, given that we're in this crisis that we're in, and one of the things that's brought us to the crisis that we're in is that we we have a constitution that, although some of its ideals are fantastic, you know, prescient, isn't it amazing that we have that? We clearly, there are some things that, that our framers didn't imagine that could happen. And, and some of it was just people sort of working their way, you know, bad actors working their way around what there's not a rule for, but there was an understanding about, you know, that, you know, a president wouldn't do this or, a, you know, you know, somebody, let's see, when there's a Supreme Court nominee, doesn't matter that it's the last year of the president's term, of course, you know, he gets a hearing. Of course he does. And that the, and that the same would be for the other party in office it would be handled the same way things like that like oh well whoever thought that anybody would would cheat with that nobody thought that so so there wasn't like a rule that could stop people doing it. so so we have to buttress our constitution and the, the only reason this relates to what you're asking me is that the other thing that we didn't do even though this aspirational document suggested it but what we didn't do is make sure that everyone was included make sure that everyone was taken care of um and and now because we're in a crisis and we realize oh we have some work to do we gotta fix this so now we can go back and we can fix it we can make sure that everyone is included having said that i i also think that <laughs> i also think that people should lighten up sometimes <laughs> you, you know but you can understand the friction when there's a group that hasn't been included. And when you can when you can be fired simply for being gay, maybe gay jokes aren't all that funny. So once we fix once we fix and we make sure that everyone is included, then I think that probably we'll have a better sense of humor. You know, we'll be able to poke more fun at ourselves. But when there are marginalized groups whose, uh, you know, livelihoods and existence uh, and even sometimes their ability to be in the country is on the line, well, you can certainly understand them being a little sensitive. Uh, so I think part of it is just the collision of these two things. Um, and, you know, there's that Native American expression, walk, walk a mile in someone else's moccasins. Well, Actually, as it turns out, that's not possible. Uh, and so it's, you know, so we got to listen and learn from each other. And I do think there's groups that have just been the whipping boy for years and are tired of it. Well said. And, and obviously not just being aware of your audience, then, but also the times that you're living in and being somewhat conscientious of that. Very well stated. Yeah, which is not always easy to do. And, you know, have I said stupid things that looking back, I'm like, well, that was stupid. Yeah. I have. I do think that there also has to be a space for improving. 
And if you just condemn someone as a racist because they said something uninformed, you know, then then there's no space for improving. And and then what do you have? You know, so I do think there has to be a space for the dialogue. Um, I wish there was a way to have a dialogue, you know, that was all comedic, you know, and that uh, where people could say what they, you know, what they what they want to be heard, you know, what their perspective is. And it was all comedic. That would be great. But we're pretty, uh, you know, we're in a crisis. But I think uh, Bill Moore, Bill Maher was onto that a little bit with his uh, TV show, right? The uh, politically incorrect that he does, where people do focus on serious, heady issues, but do so in a in a way for a half an hour to an hour of injecting yeah. comedy into it. And it seems to be Which helpful I, for those who way, watch it. I find incredibly courageous because. You know, it's so easy to touch a third rail when you're, you know, when you're engaging in these topics. And yet, we really need to be talking about these things and rethinking how we've done things in the past. Um, and a fun, you know, a good way to do that is, uh, you know, is is through comedy. Um, so I, I do. I think it's. I think it shows. It's. It's very courageous because, uh, you know, there's just going to come a time, and there does every couple of years where he says something, and people are like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Um, and the other thing is, you know, when you have a, you know, when you have a, 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 a lifetime of work, and then, and then, you know, you make one statement sort of too fast without thinking it through, and then everybody seizes on it like that's who you are as a human being, well, that's a little weird. Um, but again, I think some of that comes from the fact that we're in a crisis. And so there's a heated nature about what's going on. I, I, you know, I think once, you know, if we could ever get to a place where we include everybody, the comedy will be a lot better. Well, it's pretty good already, and, and you're a main uh, reason for it, uh, Paula Poundstone. We thank you for talking to you. My final question, of course, is what can audience, uh, the audience in Jamestown expect when they come see you October 19th? Do you even know what they can expect when they come see well, you October exactly. 19th? Well, exactly. I mean, I know, I, you know, I, I talk about raising a house full of kids and animals sometimes. I talk about, uh, you know, I, I do talk about our, our current uh, political situation. I, I talk about the... Uh, so, uh, uh, I talk about the the um, what's the word uh, the, the the underlying message in commercials where 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 children appear. Um, uh, I I, uh, I don't know. My favorite part of the night is just talking to the audience. Well, that's going to be their favorite part as well. They look forward to talking with you and seeing you again on October the nineteenth. It's been a pleasure from one cat person to another, Paula Poundstone. Thank you so much for taking time out and talking with us here on WRFA. We do appreciate it. Anything else to add before we wrap it up? No, from one cat person to another. May your life be a ball with a bell in it. Love it. Thank you so much, uh, Paula Poundstone, for talking with us today on Arts and Fire. We do appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. And again, that was Paula Poundstone talking with us here on Arts on Fire. She will be in Jamestown October 19th, as we noted. Tickets available at reglanay.com. If you want to get your tickets, stop by the website and get them or call the box office at 484-7070.